Hello and welcome back to the Firestarters Podcast. I am Colin, here with Joe. Yes, sir. And a special guest, Mingo Fresh. What is going on, boys? Well, today we have Rookies Prime to Perform. Let's chop it up. Welcome to episode 5 of the Firestarters podcast. It is 7.57 on Thursday, August 19th. Joe, what is cracking? You know, it's getting closer. It gets closer and closer and closer. Getting adrenaline rushing. I've already checked out the week one DFS slate. I'm looking to get into that. I think more importantly, we just talk about some rookies that shouldn't go overlooked if you got any drafts coming up. Yeah. What do you think about this rookie class, Mingo? Um, I love this rookie class. Um, top end is super strong. So, you know, definitely guys that can contribute this season already. Um, and I think there's some, some later round guys that could, uh, could have a big impact when it's all said and done. So I think we're going to get a little mix of both of those. Yeah, I think uh, these are some guys that even you could target in redraft leagues and are absolute smashes in dynasty leagues. You should be trying to acquire some of these guys. Uh, do we have any news we want to go over that happened since we last talked? Uh, I don't know if anything that important has happened. Well, that's good because I have some rapid fire questions to shoot at you guys. Oh, Jesus. oh, God. <laughs> all, right. all right. These are all just relevant fantasy football questions for this upcoming season. All right. Here we go. First off, is Eckler going to finally get goal line carries? I say no. I also say no. Is Gibson going to be a bell cow? Yeah. No. When will Justin Fields start? Week three. Week two. When will Trey Lance start? Let me uh, check the schedule real quick. This is good content, guys. Rapid, rapid fire. Huh? <laughs> you know, if we would have had these in advance, it would be a little more rapid fire. I say week four. Okay. I, I was also <laughs> going to say week four. Uh, can Daniel Jones be competent? No. No. God, no. Can Sam Darnold be above average without Adam Gase? If I hear one mention of ghosts, no. I want to say yes, but I'm going to say no. Will Clyde Edwards-Hilaire be a three-down back? No. No. Will Baltimore throw more there's no reason to no i'm gonna say yes all right that's all i have for you fellas that was good thank god that was <laughs> good. have fun stitching that go. together <laughs> just you know it's a little icebreaker to get us going at the start of the podcast <laughs> yeah it, it sure felt like one the awkwardness <laughs> when you're sitting in a new classroom with people all right, so we got some rookies. We're going to break it down. I guess I'll just start. 
with my first rookie prime to perform for the 2021 season, and that is Devontae Smith of the Philadelphia Eagles, formerly of Alabama football. Yeah, he's the only wide receiver of note on this roster. Quez Watkins has been making some noise, but I can't see that translating a ton into the season. I mean, he's fast, but I don't know. I, I don't see a ton out of him that makes me excited. But you know who I do see a lot that makes me excited about? as Devontae Smith. He was number one in receptions in the NCAA last year. He was number one in the NCAA in receiving yards last year. He was number one in the NCAA with touchdowns last year. Receiving touchdowns, that is. He is number one all-time in the SEC in yards. He is number one all-time in the SEC for touchdowns. And Greg Ward is the second-best wide receiver on the roster. So I can't see a path where Devontae Smith isn't that dude on this roster, and he's going to be a PPR machine. Uh, we drew up some player comparisons for each of our guys. Uh, I have a floor and a ceiling for each of my guys. My ceiling is Calvin Ridley, and my floor is Emmanuel Sanders for Devontae Smith. I I can see a very clear path to him getting up to that Calvin Ridley spot. What do you guys think about Devontae Smith? Oh, as you know, I hate everything about Philadelphia and the Eagles in general. I I don't have high hopes. I'm sorry. It's just not my situation. I I don't like the quarterback situation. I don't like the other players at skill positions in this offense. I think it's a lot of mishmash of guys. So I I can see it. I see where you're going. And like, yeah, if it's a smash, it's a smash. But I need to see this offense do something before I can even start trying to process something that happens. Fair enough. I, I'm going to disagree. Um, Devontae Smith is an elite wide receiver talent. And I think that he provides something to the Eagles offense that they were hoping Jalen Reger was going to provide, which he certainly did not, and I don't expect him to moving forward. I was not a Jalen Reger fan, um, but I am a Devontae Smith fan because he he does things that make me very confident that his skill set is going to translate um, early in the NFL and that he's going to see success early on. And I think the situation uh, with the kind of barren wide receiver room works to his advantage because I, I think he's going to be involved very quickly. And I think Jalen Hurts is, is going to rely on him um, as a guy who can get open often um, and make plays, you know, over the middle and with the ball in his hands. So I think, uh, in terms of this season, I could certainly see Devonte Smith being the most productive of all of the rookie wide receivers this year. Yeah. Speaking of his quarterback, Jalen hurts, uh, a lot of people are saying with this draft class and the quarterback wide receiver reunions, you have the Burrow chase, you have the Waddle Tua, and here's Hertz and Devante, which is the least uh, tempered rapport 
within these because with Hertz as a full-time starter, Devontae had eight receptions for 160 yards and three touchdowns. So it's not like Hertz and Devontae have this electric connection that they were working on through their entire college career because most of Devontae's success came with Mac Jones and some of it came with Tua and very little of it actually came with Jalen Hurts, but that's because he was buried <laughs> on the depth chart of Alabama with Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy, uh, Henry Ruggs, Cam Sims, Irv Smith. Uh, <laughs> I, I can continue. I mean, we have Josh Jacobs, Najee. I mean, there's just loads of talent on that Alabama roster. So I also am not worried that he took until his senior year to kind of quote unquote break out and his breakout season when he became the wide receiver one for that offense is one of the all-time greatest wide receiver seasons that we've seen in college but yeah there's a lot of targets to be had in this Eagles offense so I could definitely see Devontae Smith being the one here and getting a ton of looks moving on we have a, another wide receiver, Mingo. All right, let's do it. I'm going with Terrace Marshall. This is this is my guy. He he fell behind in the LSU offense with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, and then this year um, being a weird year. Um, I think the name isn't said enough. He, he's an ex- exceptionally talented wide receiver. Um, he has a very comparable skill set to Justin Jefferson. He's he's not the route runner that Jefferson was, um, but they, they're very similar players. They function similarly in the offense. Um, and uh, the situation in Carolina is, is weird for this season because he's obviously behind DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, but... Um, I just believe in the talent so much, and I think he's going to get on the field. Um, and the reports so far have been positive. It seems like Matt Rule and Joe Brady uh, really believe in him and, and want to get him on the field and get him involved. So um, I really like Terrace Marshall, even with the situation. And uh, my comps for Terrace, he, he's a hard player to comp he has an interesting skill set and an interesting physical profile, but um, I I have two. It, it's sort of a ceiling and a floor, but it's not perfect. So um, I guess what I consider the ceiling is Devontae Parker. Um, players that can win in the red zone consistently, uh, great high point guys, guys with a little bit of speed down the field, um, I know there's like the the clip of the catch where he gets chased down in the preseason. Get out of my mentions with that. That's 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 just ridiculous. I mean, I don't want to see that anymore. Like, the guy has some speed. He can win down the field. He shows it on the tape. I'm not concerned about it. But, um, I guess if I if I had to pick a floor, like, Cody Latimer was a guy that like had a similar set of tools and he just didn't really it it never really translated and he had some off the field stuff going on as well 
Um, but I mean, there's certainly like a pathway for a guy like this to just, you know, kind of fizzle out. And I think, I think a big thing for Terrace is just how much does he want it? And that's another reason why I picked Devonte Parker, because we saw how long it took him to acclimate to the NFL. And a lot of that had to do with how much does he want it? And I think that if Terrace commits himself and is, is willing to put in that work and learn from the guys in front of him, uh, he, he's going to see major success in that offense. So um, I, I really like Terrace, and, and I'd be willing to, you know, even in a redraft situation, I, I'd be willing to, to throw a late-round pick at him and, and see what happens. Yeah, I could see him being the, the wide receiver two on the Panthers just because he has such a different – kind of skill set than Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and so I can obviously DJ Moore is going to get the lion's share of the the targets out of that wide receiver core but I could see uh, Marshall taking over that second place role just because a lot of what Robbie Anderson did is probably going to be getting done by Christian McCaffrey so I it seems like Robbie Anderson's stock is going down day by day as Terrace Marshall's stock goes up. Well, you you mentioned that you assume DJ Moore is going to be the target leader for this team, but that really wasn't the case last year. So getting the new quarterback, I mean, Donald and Robbie Anderson played together in New York, so I don't know how much of a rapport they have that's carrying over from that, but you also do lose that target share to CMC, which is going to be a lot heavier than what it was to Mike Davis. I I think that it's going to come down to how much Darnold positively boosts this offense. If this offense is staying on the field and moving the ball more and they're not relying on CMC so heavy, uh, with the lack of an established tight end in the system, I think that Terrace Marshall has the ability to still produce even if he is that third wide receiver. Don't draft Dan Arnold, Joe says. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Hefty fade. I think there's also something to be said, though, because uh, like Joe Brady obviously has familiarity with this player. And, um, I mean, there was certainly reason to believe that he could have been a first round pick in the NFL. Uh, there was some late medical stuff that came out that, I mean, ultimately kind of pushed him down the board a little bit further than a lot of people thought. And I think that the Panthers just kind of, you know, wide receiver wasn't a top need for this team, but, but they grabbed him because I, you know, they understand the talent here. Joe Brady understands the talent and Matt rule is, you know, proved to be, um, one of the best first-year coaches last year. So I, I have a lot of faith that they're going to be able to incorporate him in ways that he's going to be able to succeed, and they're going to set him up to kind of be the guy uh, moving forward. Yeah, speaking of somebody that we're hoping to be the guy moving forward, uh, Joe, you have a running back to talk about? Yes, I do. Uh, first guy I would like to touch on is Trey Sermon. Uh, the running back for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, spent four years in college, uh, spent three years with Oklahoma, and then one year with Ohio State, and then making his way into the carousel that the San Francisco running back room is. 
and he was a pretty productive back in both of his stops in college, uh, above a six yard per carry average. He was at 7.5 last year with Ohio State, and I think that he can produce in the San Francisco offense just because they're excellent at making multiple running backs viable every game. This the the system is built for running backs no matter the size, shape or skill set, they find a way to get them involved. And looking at Trey Sermon, he he's not the fastest guy. He doesn't really have that breakaway speed and he kind of runs taller being a 6-1 guy. But what he does do really well is he reaches his top speed quick, and he's really good between the tackles. So he's hitting a hole, and he's hitting a hole hard, and he's always going forward, which when you've got different styles of running backs and you want to utilize them all, it's good to have this sort of downhill runner compared to a guy like Raheem Mostert that wants to bump it outside and then make a big play, get a touch, get in space, make a big play. So when you got the the yin and the yang in this situation right now, Wayne Gallman's probably not going to see many touches, at least out the gate. And with Jeff Wilson being injured still on the pup list, um, Trey Sermon, I think, is easily going to walk into carries and easily be able to produce right from the start of the season. I would say that Trey Sermon has a good chance of being successful because he has a pulse and he's in the Kyle Shanahan running back room. <laughs> but in all reality, uh, I think you you mentioned a stat on our running back handcuffs podcast about the San Francisco running backs having, what, 15-plus fantasy points per game, no matter who it was. And It was pretty close. Right, and so... I no matter who they plug and play in this offense, it's gonna be a viable fantasy option. But especially with Trey Sermon, because he's he runs with a different style than anybody else that they have, and he seems to be an aggressive runner and kind of seeks out that hard yardage where Raheem Mostert is looking for that big play, like you said. He's kinda looking for the the small window where he can break it and he's really good at that too and that's a part of the Shanahan offense where you run that zone scheme and you wait for that hole to open up and then you punch it but with Trey Sermon I I think that he'll be utilized more in the short yardage with the red zone and goal line and stuff like that and hopefully he'll he'll have Jimmy G with him for a while because once Trey Lance gets in, that's obviously going to cut a lot of the rushing upside of all of San Francisco's running backs. But I I do believe heavily in Trey Sermon. I mean, he's not my favorite running back in the class, but as the like second tier running backs go, he's definitely one or two. Yeah. I'm, I'm super interested to see what Trey Sermon's season looks like because it's the ultimate case of, you know, tape versus situation where this guy, if he's not in San Francisco, you're having a completely different conversation about this player. And I think there there's reason to believe that uh, the Kyle Shanahan run game can, you know, we've seen it support no names before 
Raheem Mostert still exists, still seems, you know, primed to kind of go into the season as like the quote unquote lead back. But I think um, it's a pretty safe bet to assume that Sermon is going to get some sort of work throughout the season. And if you invest in this player and you get a guy that's getting goal line carries that is getting worked into the offense, I mean, you're, you're potentially looking at huge return um, for a guy that, you know, in, in dynasty instances is going like second round. So, I mean, I'm not really sure how to feel about him based off of like an evaluation standpoint, but I would definitely be looking to invest in him for later with like with lower draft capital um, because you're you're looking at potential like huge return with that yeah i'd say he's a better handcuff option anyway when it comes to like a redraft league but dynasty yet he could be really good just because of raheem mostert's kind of passed with being banged up yeah the the player comp that I had for him was uh, Matt Forte without the breakaway speed. Uh, they have similar builds, 6'1", about 215. Um, but, yeah, Sermon's about a tick slower than Forte, where when Forte got to the second level, he would kick it into second gear, and he could be off to the races, where when Sermon's getting into the second level, he's trying to snake you know, around DBs, use his stiff arm, try to get him to the ground, and then fight for that extra yardage. So that was my player comp for him. Sounds a lot like Terrace Marshall with a, you know, no breakaway speed. Hey, I said we're not going to do this. Cheap shot. <laughs> Cheap shot here to the guest. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can just kind of transition pretty smoothly into our other Tier 2 rookie running back if you want to, Mingo. Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Michael Carter... Um, this is a player that I really, really like the tape a lot. And, and it's he, his physical profile suggests that he's not going to be that every down back. He's a smaller guy, um, you know, kind of projects more as like that third down receiving back. Um, but I just I see so much in his game that I feel like can can translate into something more than that. Um his vision is exceptional. He, he has exceptional vision, which is, you know, that's one of the top things you're looking at with a running back coming out. Can he see the field? Can he find holes? Um, and, and I see that with, with Carter. Um, the, the Jets backfield is like wide open for the taking too. So, I mean, if you're talking about this guy playing a third down role and being the receiving guy, I mean, that also suggests that like Tevin Coleman and LaMichael P. Ryan are going to be getting the early down work, which, like, I I wouldn't expect either of those players to be very impressive in that role. So I think there's going to be opportunities for him to get on the field more. And depending on what he does with those snaps, I mean, I could see him kind of exceeding his expectations. And a comp that I have for him is Aaron Jones Light because – I just see so many similarities in their game. Aaron Jones was a later pick, a fifth-round pick that like vastly exceeded his own expectations, and he's a little bit bigger, but um, still an undersized guy. And I mean, I, I just I, I see a lot like the Michael Carter's running style reminds me so much of Aaron Jones, and that's exciting to me. Um, another player that like co- that comes to mind for me is Dion Lewis. 
because they have very similar physical profiles, and Deion Lewis made a career out of being that third down receiving back and was fantasy relevant in that role, um, specifically in PPR especially. But um, So if, if you're in a PPR situation, this is definitely a guy that I, that I would have my eyes on. Um, he, he's in line for a lot of work, um, especially in that sort of role, and I think it can, it can only improve uh, from there. It seems like the Jets were looking for a running back after the whole Le'Veon Bell thing happened. And they threw the dart at LaMichael P. Ryan last year. Obviously didn't work. It was a pretty pretty bad situation. So they throw the dart this year at Michael Carter. And I really like Michael Carter a lot more than, obviously, P. Ryan because he was bad. So we're looking at... Uh, like you said, Aaron Jones light, which I, I don't know if that's the case, but every time I watched UNC when I was looking for Javante Williams highlights, Michael Carter seemed to kind of jump off the page because he is such a I, – I don't know if he's more explosive or what it is, but Javante playing his violent, aggressive – like destructive running back like style versus Michael Carter's pick you apart and get 10 yards at a time. It made Michael Carter look like that much more of a good prospect. And so when you're talking about vision and explosiveness and receiving ability, Michael Carter has it all. And in the Mike LaFleur offense, uh, if it bears any resemblance to the Matt LaFleur offense, which has Aaron Jones, you could see some some sparks flying out of New York. Yeah, you mentioned the, the different styles between him and Javante Williams that really emphasized how different of running backs they are, that this, this team, that UNC team needed both of them. And I, th- I think that, like you said, Mingo, this Jets backfield is literally on, ready to be served to any of these guys. And I, I would definitely have to give the nod to Michael Carter over the rest of those guys. I, I don't think you bring in a running back like this just to have him be the third down back, even if he's a smaller guy like that. As you see it with Aaron Jones, it's possible for a small guy a five foot nine guy to be the three down back and be very successful and be able to stay on the field. So I, I, I like the comp, I like the comp a lot. Yeah. Speaking of somebody that's having a role served to them on a platter, uh, you want to talk about your next wide receiver, Joe? Oh, I would love to. The next guy I got is in the desolate wasteland of Detroit. And <laughs> it is Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, at USC, he had some pretty explosive games. Uh, he had 160 plus receiving yards three times in his three years there. Um, he's got, I'd say average, uh, when you're looking at speed, 4.140, nothing too special. Uh, but really jumps out is this 38.5 vertical jump and, when you combine that with 
how nice his hands are, this guy can destroy one-on-one coverage. He can he can beat you over the top. He's really good at tracking the ball while it's in the air, and he's really good at adjusting to the ball. So when you can you can throw this guy open, and he can adjust to a back shoulder ball. He can adjust to anything in the air if it's high, if it's low, if it's going out of bounds. And he also has really good body control. So when you add all this up and put all this together, you're getting a guy that, on top of it, runs really good routes. So he's going to be getting open. So it's going to depend on Goff being able to get him the ball, which is the only downside that Goff doesn't have the strongest arm because you've seen it at USC. He was blowing the top off of coverages and high-pointing balls in the end zone. And I I just I hope that he can top this depth chart when you got guys like Brashard Perriman, Tyrell Williams. I mean, I don't know how much investment the new regime has in Quintez Cephas, but Amon Ra could come in, walk into easily 90 targets, and this Detroit offense is going to need to throw a lot. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, this... Amon Ra is a guy that fell both in Dynasty ADP and I think in the NFL just because of he he's a lower ceiling guy. Like what you see is what you get with a guy like this. He, what he does, he does very well, but you don't see him becoming like a superstar type of receiver in the NFL. And I think like that's fine. <laughs> that's fine because he's he does what he does well and he's going to be the guy in Detroit that's doing it for Jared Goff so I mean um in terms of dynasty like yeah you're probably gonna take this guy mid to late second but he might have a huge role for you in 2021 and I think in redraft you're looking at drafting this guy for sure because of the target the the target potential and the productivity potential that he has just simply because of the situation that he's in. It's like the the ultimate embodiment of situation value. And yeah, I, I love this this play, um, Amon Ra. Yeah, I'm not sure how they're gonna scheme Amon Ra, but hopefully they kinda use him as that Cooper Cup role for Jared Goff, kinda his underneath safety blanket because Amon Ra is also pretty good after the catch. So that would be interesting to see how much they get him involved doing that. It seemed like in the first preseason game, they were giving him a lot of touches on shorter routes, which is what you want to see because he gets that high target volume with all the short routes. He breaks a couple tackles. I mean, it's set up for him to, to definitely succeed in Detroit. And Unlike uh, our guy over in the NBA, Jalen Green, it seems like he actually wants to be there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, and it seems like he has kind of a killer instinct, which you love, Joe, because he wants to fight everybody all the time in yes. every practice. Yes, he does. And I'm sure that helps make him one of your guys. But I I really like Amon Ra. He's strong player he's got strong hands runs good routes I think Jared Goff is going to be feeding him the ball and I'm not excited to watch Detroit but I'm excited to see what Amon Ra can do yeah my my ceiling player comp was Odell Beckham Jr. 
similar builds. He doesn't have the speed that Odell has, but if you watch the way that these guys go into the air, track the ball, catch it and bring it down, I'm telling you, you will see similarities. These guys are jump ball guys in the red zone. I'm telling you. I just got done saying he's a, he's a low ceiling player, and then the That's, comp is Odell. Oh, that is that is the highest ceiling. That that is my personal comp that I am That's hoping fair. for as an Amon Ra investor. I will move on to my guy, who I also hope has a very high ceiling. Um, another wide receiver, Josh Palmer for the Los Angeles Chargers. This is a guy that had awful quarterback play. In college, he played at Tennessee, and they weren't that good, so he didn't get fed the ball very much. But he's a great contested catch guy. He's durable as all hell. He can run good routes. He can run every route in the tree, and he's a wide receiver in this Justin Herbert offense and has a ton of room to grow. My ceiling comp for Josh Palmer is Hakeem Nix. And uh, my floor comp is Jermaine Curse. So this is a big receiver. This is a contested catch receiver. Get him on your back hip and don't let him touch the ball is basically what Josh Palmer is looking to do. He played, uh, I think, the first half in their preseason game. He got targeted seven times and had six catches. Five of them were for first downs. So I, I don't know if this has anything to do with it. I'd like to think it does because it helps my narrative, but preseason usually doesn't mean anything. Uh, but if it helps my narrative, I'm, I'm happy to take it. But, yeah, he, he was running a lot of short routes, which they're, the Chargers wide receiver threes generally didn't do last season. Guys like Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson generally ran those deep routes and got – touchdowns out of him because Justin Herbert uncorked the deep ball pretty often but given the fact that Josh Palmer is tied to Justin Herbert and has a a realistic path to being the wide receiver two on this Chargers offense is pretty incredible because Mike Evans as we or sorry Mike Williams Mike Williams has been dinged up his whole career unfortunately uh we love Mike Williams as a talent, and we always have, but he's one of the most frustrating fantasy players, and I'm sure for Chargers fans, one of the more frustrating wide receivers. He already has a groin injury. Groin injuries don't go away. So I, I did a little breakdown of target share among the top passing teams in the league. Last year, the top five were the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Chiefs, the Falcons, and the Chargers. This is, on average, wide receiver one averages about 142 targets. Wide receiver two averages 115 targets. And then it goes 90 to 74. So what I'm expecting is the wide receiver one obviously will be Keenan Allen. He's going to get probably upwards of 140 145 150 targets that's going to be justin herbert's guy go to him one of the best route runners in the league he's going to be open all the time their second guy on the other hand is going to be austin eckler so he's probably going to be hitting around that 100 target mark 
But the wide receiver three is wide open because Mike Williams, who knows how long he's going to be out, who knows how hampered he's going to be by this groin all season. It's really hard to run routes if you have an injured groin. So if if Josh Palmer can have the third most targets on this team, he could be looking at around 90 to 100 targets. And that is just screaming late round value in fantasy because if if he's commanding that wide receiver two spot and he's already running short routes and not just being this jump ball deep threat guy there's a lot of upside for josh palmer josh palmer is one of my favorite third round dynasty picks this year because i think it represents a ton of value for the reasons that you just said Um, He has a pathway to being a wide receiver three option in one of the most exciting and high-powered passing games in the league, or what I would anticipate this year with Justin Herbert. Um, And uh, he's he's a guy with red zone upside too. He's a jump ball guy, and I think um, in that – you know, with Mike Williams kind of like assuming that role, I mean, if if the groin injury, you know, hampers him or whatever other injury he is inevitably going to have this year hampers him, um, I think there's red zone targets for Josh Palmer um, right there. And, and there's more upside beyond just that too. Um, he's not the most athletic player. Um, but he has a lot of tools, and I think that he could develop into something that vastly exceeds his current ADP, um, and in that case, he's a great pick. I just have to correct myself. He had, Mike Williams has a hip flexor injury, not a groin ooh, injury. I apologize, ooh, what, okay. so which might be worse. I, I, I'm, I'm sure his groin will hurt at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and what's also nice about Mike Williams is this is the last year of his contract with the Chargers. He's an unrestricted free agent next year. So if Palmer and Herbert start getting that rapport this year, especially with, you know, not much competition behind him. I mean, Guyton and Ty Johnson, I don't know if Chargers are eager to get those guys on the field. Um, And Clearly, they had an effort to get Josh Palmer the ball in their first preseason game to see what he can do. So I, I just, I like lining up a young second-year quarterback with a rookie wide receiver and just seeing if that can just grow into something great. And especially when you know Herbert's already established as that good of a quarterback, um, if if you get that wide receiver that can match with him, I mean that's. You're, you're going to the moon with that one. Yeah, on top of that, something I didn't mention was that Hunter Henry also left, which kind of makes another hole that needs to be filled as a red zone guy because Hunter Henry obviously had upside there. And like we said earlier on the podcast, Austin Eckler doesn't really get goal line carries. And pounding like Justin Jefferson or Justin Jackson – into the back of the old line a couple times isn't really going to do you a whole lot of good. So trust your guy and Justin Herbert and let him sling it to, to my guy, <laughs> Josh Palmer. 
Yeah, I, I think there's no real smooth transition to move on to our IDP segment, but how about you just start us off, Mingo, with your IDP? Sure. Um, my IDP is Jamin Davis, first-round pick for the Washington football team. He was a very late and very quick riser through the process, and he is an exceptional athlete. Um that's you know that's most of the appeal is that he he's just a crazy athlete at the linebacker position he's getting comps to the one and only Darius Leonard which I will not be comping him to here because it's overdone but there's an easy pathway to instant production and enormous upside so this is the kind of player that I would invest in 10 times out of 10 because um, I, I think no matter what, you're getting something this season and you have uh, potential to grow into my comp for him, which is Roquan Smith, uh, which is a, a game-changing defensive player, an exceptional athlete. He has some cover skills. Um, he, has, you know, he has a lot of range. He's going to be getting plenty of tackles, getting involved with you know, some pass rushing and things like that. So he's going to be all over the field. He's going to be racking up statistics. And uh, in terms of IDP, he has potential to be that game changer at the linebacker position. Um, and I think that production is going to start already this season. When you're looking at redraft, I think this Washington football team defense could be amazing the talent they have at all three levels so i i completely agree i think he's looking at beating out like cole holcomb at snaps at linebacker which should be no problem for a guy of jamin's caliber this washington football team is i think it has a good chance to compete for this division and that defense is going to be integral to being able to do that yeah, Jamin is going to be able to control the run game of the other team because the D-line is going to win at the point of attack most times. And the safeties that they have with Cam Curl and Landon Collins can kind of make up with any mistakes that might be made by the linebackers. So Jamin Davis is free to attack. And that is exactly what you want out of a linebacker that you're taking as your IDP. And he should be easily an early second-round pick. And I could say a late first-round pick in Dynasty drafts when you have an IDP. Because this guy is going to be really good for a long time. And he's just so athletic. And he's going to be making plays in the backfield. I'm sure him and Chase Young are going to be meeting up on some sacks. I it's it's going to be beautiful to watch, and I, I'd be really happy if I was a fan of the Washington, hopefully Red Wolves, this season. <laughs> is that it's a potential? Is that a, oh, is that off the top? They they released uh, top eight names and apparently they narrowed it down to three so i'm hoping that they go with red wolves because it's probably like red wolves and the football team and 
something else. So I, I'm I'm rooting for the Red Wolves because that would be real nice. That's a hundred percent better than what the Indians turned into in the Guardians. Ooh, wait a minute! Wait <laughs> I, a minute! I, I don't want to hear any Guardians <laughs> slander. I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. What? What's? What are they guarding? What's in Cleveland that needs to be guarded? LeBron's championship. Whoa. That's all they have. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> the one Larry O'Brien trophy via LeBron. Uh, so that, <laughs> that's probably in LeBron's possession. It's not even in Cleveland. <laughs> you know who is in Cleveland? <laughs> Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. And that is my IDP. Uh, I'd say his ceiling comp is Derwin James. His floor comp is Dion Buchanan. So this is one of these hybrid safety linebackers that are coming into the league. Please don't compare him to Isaiah Simmons. It's not the same guy, and he's not going to be the same guy. He is smaller. He is a little faster. He plays on instinct, and he attacks, something that Isaiah Simmons wasn't doing because he's kind of playing that safety role where he he stutter steps a lot and second guesses his reads jok does not second guess his reads he sees something coming and he attacks and you saw this in his first game with the browns he had nine tackles and like three tackles for loss and a sack and this this is just solely because he saw the ball and like a heat-seeking missile went for it Every time. He trusted his reads. He trusted his instincts. And he made some incredible plays. He had the the one that kind of stood out to me was he dropped back in coverage to cover a, a shorter route that was going over the middle. The quarterback dumped it off to the the running back in, in the flat on JOK's side. And as soon as he saw the quarterback look at the running back, he just broke. He broke out of his zone, and the guy that was coming to block him, he just dipped under that block because he just eliminated that blocking angle because of how fast he attacked and just lit the guy up in the flat. And so I think you're going to be seeing a lot of that in Cleveland, and eventually the Cleveland Guardians are going to be guarding his Canton bust. Wow! <laughs> Nothing but the best transitions here. <laughs> I tell you what. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I don't know about Hall of Fame, <laughs> but I do like... <laughs> I do like JOK. I mean, the the one issue that I have is, like, your, comp, your top comp is Derwin James, but if he doesn't get DB eligibility which I don't expect him to. Um, it kind of leaves me wondering what does his final stat line look like as a fantasy linebacker? Is he getting you the numbers that you need from your linebacker? Um, and and I can see him evolving into a true you know, tackle machine. He's all over the field. He has the speed. He has the playmaking ability. Um, but uh, he he's not that traditional linebacker, like you said. He's that hybrid guy. 
Um, and that always leaves some questions in terms of fantasy production. Now, if he were to get stamped with that DB's thing, like down the road here, like, oh my God, like this is one of the premier assets in all of fantasy because of that. Um, so, and, and Dion Buchanan, a guy that you mentioned as well, was a DB that eventually turned into a linebacker. So we've seen these weird positional, you know, the positional fluidity there. But um, in terms of this season, if he's coming in just straight as a linebacker, um, I'm interested for sure. And in Dynasty, you're taking this guy, you know, late second, um, early third type of a situation. But um, yeah, I think there is a, a question. We saw Isaiah Simmons' role last last year was not super defined, and so I'm I'm curious to see how the Browns use JOK. Did you tune me out when I said don't say he's Isaiah <laughs> Simmons? I no 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 I. <laughs> I'm not comparing the players. I'm, I'm just comparing the roles because they came in in very similar ways where people were hoping that Isaiah Simmons would get DB eligibility for fantasy. Like, that was, like, the appeal. Like, if this guy gets safety eligibility, like, he's going to be a cheat code. And then they gave him DL. I think that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's all I'm saying. I'm not comparing the players at all. I liked your comps. All right, so real quick before you, you pit, chip in, Joe, I just need to s- say something to Sleeper. All right, this is why JOK should have DB eligibility. He is the second highest rated slot cover player in this draft. Okay? Second highest in the whole draft. That includes corners. That includes safeties. Please make him a DB. Thank you. He's also number 28. And while you're at it, give Fred Warner DB eligibility because he's the best cover linebacker in the league. Fair. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think you're looking at JOK. You're, you want him to be the linebacker to DB that Jeremy Chin was the DB to linebacker eligibility. They, that same sort of role where if you're covering a guy, you're covering a guy in the slot, but you're still f- primarily in the middle of the field to make the plays, to roam and just just be that heat-seeking missile defensive player that's covering up everybody's mistakes. Yeah, he'll probably be a big like boom-bust tackle guy depending on how they're scheming against him just because of how he plays. Um so let's let's just move on to your guy, Joe. Who's your IDP? Which one do you want? I've got two. They're very similar. Uh, let's go with our Bengal. All right. So my IDP is not the top defensive lineman in this draft. Um, it's Joseph Osai for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, came out of Texas and... Watching him on tape, you, you just notice how quick he gets his hands up and disengages with a lineman and then works his way around him. And he's getting to the backfield incredibly quick, and he just wreaked havoc for tackle for losses. He had 30 tackle for losses in his three years at Texas, uh, 11.5 sacks. He had... 
three games still with double-digit tackles, too. So it, it's another guy that just is wreaking havoc. Unfortunately, with the Bengals, he's kind of buried on a depth chart behind Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. So I don't know if this will be the year, you know, that you'll actually see it. But I think it's a guy that they're going to want to get out on the field and get him in the action and see what he can do blowing up backfields. Yeah, the thing that's really interesting about Joseph Osai is how he's going to be utilized on this Bengals defense. Um, I I really like that he had multiple double-digit tackle games because that's really big for someone that has DL eligibility in, in fantasy because if you have a DL that's going to get you 10 tackles in a sack, that's just huge production out of out of that DL slot and not a lot of guys will get it like one of the premier fantasy assets as a DL is Chase Young and he he doesn't break that double digit tackle mark but he's still one of the guys that you're targeting that you want and uh DL kind of reminds me of like tight end as as a as a position because you want like those top five guys say you want your your Travis Kelsey your Darren Waller your George Kittle but with DL you want your TJ Watt you want your Chase Young you want so on so when it comes to Osai if he's used in a role where he can make those tackles and set the edge rather than being stuck in the middle kind of bumped down the the packing order by Hubbard and by Hendrickson because Hendrickson proved last year he's a really good pass rusher and we didn't see that out of him before and he got paid for it but it could be kind of a contract year blip because we didn't see it out of him before um Hubbard it has been consistently good but isn't the freak athlete that Osai is because he's really long he's tall and he he just is a different profile than the other guys that are on that team and we'll we'll see what that defense coordinator schemes up and maybe they can run like a nascar package kind of thing where they put all of their athletic defense alignment out there to go rush the passer on passing downs yeah this the edge class this year is so wide open it's it really is kind of a pick your flavor guys i mean jalen phillips um seems to have a bit of an edge but even there you're working with some red flags and i think osai is a guy that you know i i'd be willing to take a chance on the athletic profile and the situation um i i could see it translating um but yeah i mean it's it it's really hard this year to to see a lot of the a lot of the edge situations and like envision like immediate production um so i think you're really looking for you know what are what are the guys that that kind of profile long term that have a lot of upside um and in this case like i mean you're getting you're getting this player in dynasty i mean this is like you got a late you got a fourth round pick like you're taking a flyer on this guy and just hoping that he pans out and in that in that situation like i I love the the potential return there he's got a similar build to tj watt but this guy has a (laughs) i guess it's not very (laughs) 
<laughs> relevant in football, but he's got a 41.5 vertical. This I mean, man should be in the league, <laughs> the other league. I mean, it helps to bat down balls, I tell you what. So if you have pass deflections as a as a scoring measure in your league, I mean, 41-inch vertical might not be too bad because it worked out for J.J. Watt where he was batting him down and even getting picks at the line of scrimmage. So if he has any sort of hands, it might might actually help him out. Uh, speaking of hands, let's uh, move on to your kind of later round guy that you think could hit Mingo. Yeah, so Nico Collins is a player that I really, really like as a, a very deep sleeper um, sort of like a third round flyer in dynasty with you know maybe even a little bit of redraft upside probably not a guy that you're gonna spend a, a pick on but a guy to monitor on the wire for sure just because of the situation like we were talking with Amon Ra I mean in Houston like you got Brandon Cooks and then you have nothing just absolutely nothing we have no idea who's going to be throwing the football for the Texans this year. Um, but Nico Collins, I, I really like his tape. Um, it's inconsistent because the Michigan offense was atrocious, and you're kind of just like seeing what you got there. Um, he flashes a ton of like down the field. 50-50 ball wins. I mean, this is a guy that you're going to chuck it up to him and he's going to win it more often than not. He's a red zone type of player, um, a guy that I could see having a ton of red zone upside this season already. Um, and I, I'd be willing to, to roll the dice on him. My, my comp for him, which isn't going to sound very impressive, um, but my comp for him is uh, Tim Patrick which Tim Patrick is a very underrated player, I think. Uh, UDFA that, that really kind of um, turned into a serviceable player and the, the Broncos, you know, the depth chart doesn't really allow him to get super involved, but he's a guy that has contributed for them. He wins down the field. He's a bigger guy. He has some athletic upside. He has some red zone upside. So I see Nico Collins in a similar sort of role and I think, especially considering how wide open the Texans' depth chart is, that could translate to fantasy-relevant production. thing is with the Tim Patrick comp, when Tim Patrick was the wide receiver one for a little while with the Broncos when Sutton went down and I think Judy went out, uh, he was really productive, and he was a viable fantasy option with a not-so-great quarterback room. So Nico is definitely a interesting guy when it comes to fantasy, and I could definitely see a bunch of upside with him. He had a really bad quarterback at Michigan who threw him up a lot of jump balls. Now he, who knows what's going on in Houston with the quarterback room. So, unfortunately for Nico, he doesn't just get to walk in and have a, like a nice, solid quarterback room, but he also gets to walk in and probably be the wide receiver two or wide receiver three on this team. He'll, he profiles as an X receiver, 
and I could see him playing that role because they don't have an X receiver on the team. Brandon Cooks, small guy, fast guy. He'll probably play the Z. Kiki Cutie, slot guy. And then outside of that, there's not a whole lot there. So Nico Collins should be kind of the guy outside of Brandon Cooks in this wide receiver room. But if Davis Mills is throwing the ball, I don't know how much that's going to benefit Nico. I I mean, I went to the the preseason game with the Packers and the Texans, so I was actually just kind of watching Nico Collins on most of the plays because I liked him as a prospect, and he's definitely worth a late round kind of flyer in Dynasty. So I was just like, oh, let's see see what's up with Nico, and he looked to be getting open a little later than you'd want him to especially on Houston where they have a bad offensive line and a bad quarterback. But I think as he progresses in the league and gets better at route running and learns more kind of a timing thing because when he was at Michigan, it was kind of run and then catch a contested pass because your quarterback underthrew you. So I'd really like to see how Nico Collins grows, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, I hope they they keep that sort of attitude as throw it you're the biggest guy out there jump and go catch it when like you said the cooks small guy cutie small guy anthony miller that they just brought in small guy so if you can get into the red zone and you're probably not going to score with any of these running backs on your roster take a chance just throw the jump ball over and over it's probably your best option the team's going to be atrocious i mean you might as well try to get your young assets better when you got nothing else going for you on this team the old what have you got to lose technique 100 percent. i think the texans are 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 the number one (laughs) to be following that model this year the only thing that scares me a little bit with nico collins is that i see a lot of the things that i liked in denzel mims game and i think we we see how these sorts of receivers can go one way or the other you know where it's like um i still have i still have faith in mims to put it together but these bigger guys that win at the catch point that don't always separate well and that have a little bit of, you know, what seems like concentration issues, you know, can can they put it together, especially in a situation like Houston where you're not going to be playing for much. So it'll be interesting to see how he approaches it and, and what uh, sort of role he gets in their game plan. You know, speaking of lacking separation, are you kind of comping him to Jamar Chase? <laughs> No, no, no. Jamar is that's that's Jalen Strong levels of of can't separate. Uh, somebody that didn't have trouble separating last year. Uh, my late round kind of sleeper guy is Jalen Darden. So he went to the Buccaneers, and that is a loaded wide receiver room, probably the best in the league. Um, so his path to getting any reps this year is a little fuzzy but with Godwin being on the franchise tag could be on the way out and your next best slot guy being probably Scotty Miller 
and the hype that Darden's getting in camp could warrant a dart throw at him in Dynasty. So redraft, you're not touching him. Unless Chris Godwin got injured, there's no reason to think about starting him. So put Darden on your taxi for the year is my suggestion for you in Dynasty. Uh, my ceiling comparison for Jalen Darden is Deshaun Jackson. And my my floor is in strictly NFL comp, Tavon Austin. If If everything goes right for him, he can be a shifty, small, break tackles. I wouldn't say break tackles. Make people miss and kind of break big plays and be that kind of safety blanket guy underneath where you just win every time against one-on-one coverage. And so if you can throw him in the slot and get him catches in space, I can see a lot going right for Jalen Darden, especially if he has a chance to catch passes from Tom Brady. I don't know how long Tom Brady's going to play, but, I mean, I don't see any slowing down from him. Uh, But Jalen Darden was one of the most productive college wide receivers last season. I mean, it was kind of Devontae Smith, but in, like, some random conference levels of production. So he won the MVP of his conference, which is Conference USA. That That is the conference he was in. Uh, he won MVP. He led the conference in receptions and yards and touchdowns. Um, so th- this is another guy that uh, was an incredibly productive college receiver that's coming into a situation that could benefit him sitting behind Chris Godwin and kind of learning the NFL game and, like, the tricks and trades because he came from, like, a smaller school. He went to North Texas. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of NFL-caliber talent that he's playing against. But being in Tampa Bay with that Super Bowl roster – and playing against guys like Carlton Davis and playing with Tom Brady and Chris Godwin can only help him. And I could see a lot of upside for him. Um, but also a very, he could, he could bottom out really easily because he's one of these small guys that relies on speed and shiftiness. And we're not sure if that's going to translate based on his athletic profile. I think that him being able to see the field is going to come down to what he does in the return game whether it's punts or kick returns I mean Bruce Arians said himself that he wants to get get him the ball and and then see what he can do and try to make a play so and there's no better way to do that than a kick return or a punt return so I mean that I I see how that's your Tavon Austin comp because that is what Tavon Austin's job was. He, he never was a big factor in any offense, no matter where he was, but he, he was most effective being a returner, which unfortunately isn't very beneficiary in most dynasty leagues. I know you can have those return yards, uh, which we have in ours, but other than that, uh, I, I think he's a little, a little buried. Yeah. I mean, the one the one problem I have is that they just took Tyler Johnson last year, who is a player that 
excites me a little bit more from a physical standpoint. Um, but, I mean, I'm seeing this article here. Uh, is Jalen Darden really the next Antonio Brown? So... <laughs> If we're already if we're already here, man, why not stick that guy on a taxi squad and just see what happens? So I <laughs> uh, love training camp. Love it. Uh yeah, anyway, let's move on to a team that took a wide receiver that seems to have been very disappointing in camp. Uh you have a guy from the New York Giants, Joe. I, I do. He's not a wide receiver. Uh-oh. No, I know. Oh. <laughs> I was just saying, he's on the team. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was kind of lost in this transition. I'm sorry. <laughs> not all of them can be perfect. I'm sorry. Anyways, um, my last guy is Aziz Ojolari for the Giants. And he had his one play against the Jets where he shed Mackay Becton. And he got a tackle for loss in the backfield. And if the Jets or the Giants have any chance of being good as Daniel Jones still is their quarterback, if they want to stay in the games, they need defense to step up. You've, you've got your guy in the middle in Blake Martinez who's been cleaning up pretty much everything for this defense since he signed there. But... Ojolari is an outside linebacker, has a chance to see the field. Uh, he profiles a 6'3", 240, which gives him an advantage, again, rushing the passer. And at Georgia, there were plays where he was literally blowing by the lineman untouched and getting in the backfield and getting on the blind side. And he was, he was one of those guys that goes up and does the arm chop at the quarterback. So he, he, he was really good at forcing fumbles there. And he was really good at a backside pursuit. So even if they were kicking it, doing a boot, and rolling away from him, he still had enough speed to come around the backside and still get to the quarterback. So I, I don't know what the Giants' defense plan is for him, if they're going to keep him as the D lineman. Or if they are going to push him to an outside linebacker, I know a lot of times outside linebackers just what teams want to refer to that edge rusher is. Um, like the Packers do it with Zadarius Smith. They call him an outside linebacker, but he is more of an edge rusher. Um, but I like what I've seen from Ojolari at Georgia. And I, I think with the other young pieces on this Giants front line, uh, that adding more to it uh, can only benefit Yeah, I think it's it goes back to the uh, conversation with Osai, which is that this this pass rushing class is is pretty wide open, and Ojolari was a guy that was routinely mocked uh, as a first rounder, um, kind of in that back half or back end where there was a lot of uh, pass rush needy teams, um, and he falls all the way to fifty, which is kind of shocking, but. Um, I, I like the upside a lot. I like the situation. Uh, he's going to have opportunities to show what he's got. And I think, um, you know, you're looking at another situation where if, if he's on the field early and he's, and, and he's showing off, like, 
uh, sky's the limit for a guy like this. Yeah, the Giants' defense was actually really good down the stretch last year, and that has a lot to do with Leonard Williams, who had an incredible season last year. So he's going to demand a lot of attention this year, and that should free up Ojolari to win a lot of one-on-ones. So it, if he can just do that enough like he did against Makai Becton, who is supposedly one of the best tackles in the league, I mean, we can talk about that later <laughs> if the, the, the Jets in general. Um, but Makai Becton is supremely talented, and so if he can win in one-on-one situations because of the attention they're going to have to pay to Leonard Williams and guys even like Dexter Lawrence – it, it's actually looking pretty promising for a guy like Oshilari. So I, I really like this as a kind of a low-key DL addition because somebody you could probably pick up on waivers after you see how it's going with him throughout the season. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Oshilari and how much of an athlete he is and how he should be the – other pass rusher outside of Leonard Williams. And I think that is everybody we have. Um, but that's not all we have. Uh, Migo, we do something once a week called a heat Whoa. check where you, you just throw your hottest take out. So uh, Joe can go oh, first. Oh, or oh, I can oh. go first. I'll go Thank first. You. Thank you. Then Joe can go. Thank so you. you have some time to think. Um, I'm going to talk about baseball <laughs> because I, I've been trying my hardest to be a baseball fan and all I can watch is the Brewers. All right. I love the Brewers. I've always loved the Brewers, but the Brewers staple is that they have an, a really good bullpen. And I don't really want to watch a game that's going to be 2-0. to zero. You know who I want to watch? Shotei Otani. All right? I want to watch Fernando Tatis Jr. I, I can't watch a baseball game. I can't find out how to watch a baseball game. It's just the stupidest thing. They don't market anybody. They don't put out highlights very often. Every highlight's just a home run. I don't really need to see the same home run 55 times. The first time I saw anything of value was a stat that was posted not by the MLB but by some local beat reporter in Green Bay that Shotei Otani has hit more home runs than he's let up. And that's insane. And I just don't know about that because it's not a national media piece. The MLB doesn't market anybody. And it just bothers me because baseball is such an easy game to watch because you can just kind of have it on in the background and be like, oh, hey, Shohei's up to bat. Time to watch the baseball game. Or, hey, Fernando Tatis is, is up to bat. Time to watch this game. Like, you can tune in and out of baseball games without much of a problem. And there's just no way to actually consume baseball easily. The radio. You, Thank you. I really you listen, don't want to consume it like it's 1945. You listen to baseball on the radio. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. Well, ba- is coming up to bat. Baseball yeah, thinks good. it's 1945, so that's where the product's at. <laughs> yeah. yes. that, that's the target audience. 
Hey, Freddie Freeman hit for the cycle yesterday. And that's the second time he did it this year. And I don't even know who Freddie Freeman is. That's, that's I should know who that is. I should I should know who Freddie Freeman is. I don't know if this isn't as much of a baseball problem as says it is. It's a you problem. I'm, so, I'm sorry, right. Colin. If, if someone hits for the cycle twice in a season, it should be readily available on socials. Okay? I shouldn't have to go out and search for, like media that's gonna tell me that freddie freeman hit for the cycle twice that's like one of the more like incredible sports feats you can have like i know when messi gets a hat trick i know when like whoever gets a hat trick in soccer i know who wins the world cup i know like there's stuff that happens. i don't pay attention to soccer i don't readily seek out soccer content but i get like news from soccer just passively i will never get that from baseball then you need to follow the right people <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what else to tell you i'm, I'm sorry right. here's here's my thing with baseball though i i will always love baseball baseball was my first well it wasn't my first love but it was it was my first love when i was a functioning person and uh, it, since I've discovered th- the NFL and rediscovered the NBA, and I still love the NHL, baseball just doesn't. It's it's just hard, man. Like baseball's hard. It's it's hard to watch. There's 162 games. Like I don't. Want, I'm not ready for that. Like, I don't want that. I want April baseball, and I want October baseball. That's what I want. So I, I understand why it's hard, and the marketing sucks, and nobody knows what's going on, and it's just it's not fun right now, and that's that's a problem. What they need to do is just make it so everyone can cheat and it's just a problem if you get caught <laughs> then that that would be elite content like ah, i can see aaron judge you look a little uh <laughs> angry today what's going on <sighs> anyway that's that's all i've got for baseball that's my small baseball rant because i i try and i want to watch the guys that i like to watch and I, I just i can't find content i can't find good content i don't have a heat <laughs> <laughs> well i've i've known about the heat check for 5 minutes and i have one <laughs> If you had listened to the other four episodes, you'd have known about the heat check. Well, I did. I do know that it exists. I wasn't expecting to to have my own. I thought that was like a you guys thing. But I thought I thought our heat check was the, was the, the the quick questions we had at the start of the video that no one else was prepared for either. No, no. I'm. I wanna. I wanna participate in the heat check. Um, the the new Green Bay Packers jerseys 
are absolute fire. And one of the best jerseys I have seen from the NFL in years. Yes. And so much so that I will be investing in a new Packers jersey simply because of how much I love the new jerseys. So that's my heat check. Is it going to be a Mario Um, Rogers? (laughs) I want it to be. I want it to be. But I was talking (laughs) to somebody else today, and I said that the only Packers jerseys that you can get right now are Jair, Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins for the ultimate swag choice, uh, or Darnell Savage, who's about to pop. So so it's Jair. Um, You get Bakhtiari. Well, see, I already have Bakhtiari. I was I was I I got Bakhtiari in the Elton Jenkins stage of his career where it was like super swaggy to buy it. I just said swag multiple times on this podcast. I'm a little bit upset about it. Yeah, Mingo's yep. an old man. It's, it's okay. okay. We'll let it slide. Well, you know what? It's we're going off the rails. But I yeah, Jair feels like the one. Jair's the one. I have a Jair jersey, and it just feels nice to have. It's just like I see it in my closet, and it's like, yeah, that's that's Jair Alexander, all pro, baby. Yeah, I, f- I feel like these jerseys, there is no in-between. You hate them or you love them, and I'm glad that we as a collective love them. Yep, I'm all in. Well, if uh, Joe is going to not have a heat check and Mingo's heat check can slot right in as a replacement. Thank you, Mingo. Uh, then... I think that's everything that we have for this episode of the Firestarters podcast. We appreciate everybody joining us, and we will see you next week. Is it?